Easton Podcast number 72. And brought to you by Coke Zero. Hi, I'm George Tekbachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson. Wow. We really made it a long ways. And we've landed a corporate sponsor. I'm I'm impressed by myself. <laughs> I think they'll probably call us and ask us to remove any of that from yeah. the yeah, from please the show. don't please don't discuss our product. <laughs> Your association to us is negative for our sales. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, it's uh, it's been a little while since we last podcasted. Yeah, last time we were at uh, Greg's office. Yeah, yeah. and we uh, we talked to Greg and got the lowdown on the World Championships and the uh, the Congress, the World Archery Congress, and stuff coming up for next year's Tokyo Olympic Games. And since then, I went to the Tokyo Test Event. Yeah, it looked pretty nice. Yeah, it was. And um, you've been to a bunch of ASAs. We're going to cover some of that stuff. Nah. Okay. <laughs> but the big news this <laughs> we'll week, a bit. I'd say this week's big news more than any other was, uh, how about that Brady Ellison? It was the news. No doubt about it. I think Brady's, uh, Brady's been the story of the season. Yeah. In all archery. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, whoever has a great world archery season is the story of all archery because it's a broader audience worldwide, more people. Um, but Brady, you know, being a, probably the premier men's recurve athlete and having the world championships and now 702 world record. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, that you asked me before we started podcasting today to uh, look at, you know, the history of that world record, that 702. Yeah. I, I was just to cut you off. I was uh, kind of interested in hearing what the world record was going back to maybe, you know, the, start of archery in the Olympics or maybe the start of world archery championships. Yeah. I don't know, but I going pulled up who those had stats. it and what the actual round was at the time. Cause there's a lot of world records. There still are, you know, there's a 70 meter world record within a 1440 round. And that's like three fifty three or something. Yeah. It's a high number. So, you know, there's all that, but you know, that's not the granddaddy of the world records right now. No, current world record for 72 arrows is what we're talking about. So 720 total points is the potential right. score for 70 meters in a single round. So that's that's the record we're discussing here. And that's the standard round that's used to qualify you for the Olympic Games. And, you know, you're qualified when you get there, I should say, to rank you for the Olympic Games. And to qualify you at the World Championship. And it's used in most other countries, with the notable exception of Korea, for just about everything else. Are they still doing 1440s? They sure or is that are. just here and there? No, they're still doing 1440s mm. and lots of them to decide their teams and to decide, you know, ranking within their teams. And I mean, they are, they're, they're all about the 90 meters, which does not hurt a thing, clearly. Yeah. But with that said, Brady Ellison, 702 new world record, breaks the old world record by 700. So here's, here's the interesting thing. Who do you think, um, I mean, you know, because you were there, you know about Kim Woo Jin yeah. shooting the 700 that was the previous record. That was bad to the bone, right. truthfully. Right, absolutely. Especially since he kind of called it. He did not kind of. He straight up said, I'm um, at like, a, so one of the World Cups, he's like, yeah, I'm going to break O or M's world record at it's the M. Olympics. Yeah. It was him, yeah, 699. Yeah. So I'm going to break his world record at the Olympics. And we all knew that would mean the first 700 at the and done at the Olympics, it would be quite the story. And then he did it on a pretty shaky, crappy stage, 
you know, the actual stage they were shooting on yeah. was not good. Yeah, they, the, the they, surface was yeah. unstable, right? They told archers, don't come off the line until, like, the next two past you are also done shooting just because you could feel everybody's footsteps. So it was cool. Here's what else is cool. There's one guy, okay, out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times that this record has been eclipsed since 19, excuse me, since uh, 2004. There's one guy who accounts for five. five he held the record five times? Five times. It's Im Don so it's Hyun. Im, huh? Yeah. So he set the record at the Athens Olympic Games. It was 687 in 2004. He did that with uh, with X10s. And then he did it again in Shanghai at the World Cup six years later in 2010. Then he did it again at the test event for the London Olympic Games in 2012. Or I should say, yeah, it was the, the test event, so basically. 2011 right. London test right. event. 2011 yeah. London test event. 693. So he upped it by, he went from 687 to 91 to 93. And Which, he did, uh, the women's record is now 92. Right. So they're not far off. No, no, not far at all. Then he did it again in 2012 in Antalya before the London Games. 696. Then he did it again at the Olympic Games, 699 in 2012. Then it took four years to break that 699 for uh, Kim Woo-jin. No one even got close. Correct. For I mean, there was a, I want to say maybe Brady shot a 697, and Kim Woo-jin was probably right about there a couple times. But for the most part, since London, from London to Rio, and this happened this tends to happen the year after the olympics there's not a ton of great scores being shot yeah the, the next year they pick up a little bit the year prior to the olympics things get pretty good yeah and uh i watched that happen you know the uh, this time around or excuse me prior after london prior to rio i rarely saw a guy shoot a 680 now conditions play a part of that and maybe there just wasn't optimal conditions very frequently um, I don't know. And then the year of Rio, guys started really, really ripping it up. Right. And it looked like, yeah, this is going to happen. So at the Rio games, of course, Kim Jin shoots that 700 and then basically goes out in the first pass in the uh, elimination round. Yeah, was it the first or? First or second pass. So it was a big upset. I think it was the second. Yeah. But yeah, it was. It was a big upset. Yeah, no doubt about that. But uh now Brady Ellison with a with a seven oh two. It's like breaking the four minute mile. I think when Kim Woo Jin did it, I think we're going to start seeing people do it yeah. more regularly with the weather if the weather is suitable. And the weather seems to have been suitable in Peru, which is where Brady did it at the mm -hmm. Pan American Games. Um, you know, the weather in Peru is the opposite of what you'll have in the northern hemisphere, so it's kind of Octoberish for those of you familiar with the North American weather pattern. Uh, it was a little bit misty. Um, it's flat light. Flat light. That's very key. important with recurve and probably with compound too. Yeah, flat compound. light. As as light, what what people might understand is as the light shifts across, you know, as the sun moves across the sky, a lot of times you get a change in point of impact because of that. So 
any type of lighting um, changes can can lead to a, a difference in point of impact, which you know might be one or two clicks, but there's a lot of times you barely miss a ten, and it's like hey, that one click would have kept me in. So flat light is uh, always welcome. Absolutely, and you're looking at um, you know good performances not just from Brady but from a number of other shooters at this event. Yeah, uh, Alejandro Valencia set a new Pan American Games and Continental record for recurve women. Did she get the Continental? Uh huh. Six seventy five for seventy two arrows, pretty respectable. Um, you know, she uh, shot a three forty and a three thirty five, which is you know not not huge by Korean standards, but pretty good by continental standards here. Apparently the best. And uh, Casey Coffold uh, was uh, doing well at this event. She's second seed. Um, Ida Rahman was in there with a pretty good score. But, you know, generally speaking, the women's scores didn't match, uh, didn't come close to Brady's score, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, the other good news is that uh, Mexico, Alejandro Valencia in particular, secured an individual spot to the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Oh, nice. So that's that's a positive thing. Um, you know, Braden Galantine uh, shot well. He shot a 7-12 in the compound men's qualification mm-hmm. down there, which is a pretty solid score. So he's seated number one there. Marcus Dalmeida shot Yeah, really Marcus good. shot great. You know, Marcus, of course, the sensation of the the Brazil Olympic Games, and uh, and he's been, you know, hanging in there, and he's been doing well. So absolutely, he's second seed for the uh, men's recurve there was Mar- was Marcus Dalmeida. I believe are they shooting right now? Yeah, they're shooting as we uh, as we record this um as of this morning um which is the uh, morning of the 9th. Uh they're just Brady has gotten through to uh the next pass. He'll be in the quarterfinals. He'll be in the quarterfinals. He's got an opponent from Canada. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, we've got Jack Williams getting ready to shoot just about as we're recording right now. So, uh, go to Ian Seo, I A N S E O dot net for results from the Pan American games. Um, but there are some, uh, some pretty notable shooters in, in the, uh, you know, making it t- through to this portion of the round so far, like Crispin Duenas and, uh, El Abuelo Luis Alvarez from Mexico and uh, Jack Williams, as we mentioned before. Um, some of the, some of the notables that went out already, as we record this, included Ernesto Boardman and uh, the stalwart from Cuba, Juan Carlos Stevens, among others. So it's a tough competition, even though uh, you know it's it's not uh, featuring any Koreans, that's for sure. But uh, you know, Pan Pan American Games is always a uh, bellwether for what's going to happen mm-hmm. following you know olympic games to a degree yeah i mean it's continental championships yep. and and you know i think I, I will say this i'm not even going to make an attempt to explain how you can secure spots for the olympics no there's an article about that there is a great if article really about that and it, you know it's um it's on archery.org world archery's website Talk about details, though. My goodness, it's it's really complicated. Yeah, there's really there's like if Brady wins, then this happens. But if Brady Jack and you know this guy win, then blah yeah. blah blah. The so, what ifs? Are, yeah. I mean, you need twelve sided dice to decide half yeah. this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they, there was they even put a situation of if the three Americans, uh, Tom, Jack, Brady, finish top three, then it would go to the fourth. Yeah, but if 
Because Brady qualified at at uh, the World Championship. Yeah, but if that fourth had secured a spot, then it was going to uh, an individual spot given at the final qualification tournament next year in Berlin. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's Let's go back to talking about the history of the world record. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, you know, one of the interesting things about the um, – the the 72 arrow round of course is you know it is half the length it's half the amount of time required from the previous round you know which was we used to shoot 90 meters then you know 36 arrows at 90 36 arrows at 70 36 arrows at 50 and 36 arrows at 30 so you had to you know you had to be able to adapt to the varying distances and there was a lot of uh, a lot of walking involved. Sometimes you had to shoot it over two days. Sometimes you'd shoot the whole thing in one day, especially if you shot, you know, uh, in places like Canada, you know, where we'd shoot two of those things in one weekend back in the day. So, you know, I, I think I'll just say this. I think the Koreans um, take the the harder road in their internal events when they have. Um, you know, the full feet around and, and all four distances, I still think that is more of a test. And I think I know why. And, and I think it's because of the fact that you've got to maintain your form through the four distances yeah, with the elevation change. Angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really think that, I think that's good for you. I really do. Just like I think field archery is good for you, like we were talking last time. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I, could, I was kind of thinking about that earlier because – you know, I'm sure not every field has the same. Uh, you know, they they intend to keep them level, but I doubt they are. Oh no, 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 <laughs> they're not. <laughs> yeah, and then there's days where you know, fighting a headwind, you're going to end up having to aim a touch higher or whatever. So yeah, you're even at 70 meters, you're not always maintaining the same, you know, angle of alignment. So having the ability to still execute good shots while that changes is very important. So Tokyo test event, um, you know, that's uh, Tokyo's a year away. Um, it's going to be hot and humid. And uh, we expected it to be hot and humid at the event at uh, Yomanoshima, which is in Tokyo Bay, the island of dreams. It wasn't. It was uh, no more than about 28 on the hottest day, 28C. And it, you know, it was a little bit rainy. It was wet. And... Um, reasonably comfortable i would say so people did not get exposed to the true july tokyo weather that you might expect to get but there were some good performances at this event and um i had a uh i had a brief aside with brady as he was going to uh heading up to the podium to get his bronze medal i, I leaned over to him and i said hey don't feel bad about you know winning bronze here because in the history of the Olympic Games test events, not one person that has ever won the test event went on to win the actual games. And he leaned over back to me and he said, yeah, I know. That's why I went for the bronze. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, I think that was funny. You wanted to talk more about world record stuff. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering, you know, when you first started shooting, was it the 1440 round, the standard round? Still? Yeah, yeah. So I started shooting um, recurve archery 1983-ish. And in that time frame, what we were looking at as our benchmark and, and you know, the guy is Daryl Pace. And Daryl uh, 
you know, the only two-time Olympic gold medalist in archery individually still. And, um, you know, just when it comes to the, I, I think world archery put it well, they, they named him archery archer of the century, uh, in the, uh, you know, in the context of the 1900s, right. Of the 20th century. Of the 20th century. Yeah. So in, in that regard, I don't think anybody's going to dispute that, you know. I mean, he's winning by like 100. Well, he was, he was literally winning events that were a 28-80 total score. So two 14-40 rounds shot over four days. He was winning them by 100 points at times. One of my favorite stories about a large discrepancy in total score comes from Butch Johnson and another legendary guy. Rio told me this story and I think Rio was, he saw this happen or something. I don't remember the exact details, but Butch going into the last end was winning by like 64 and it was just qualification. Right. And it wasn't, uh, that qualification round did not have any bearing on any other ranking or anything else. It was just for that tournament. And they're going into the last end, and, and Butch didn't get up to shoot. The guy goes, Butch, we got six more arrows to shoot. And Butch said, no, you have six more arrows to shoot. Yeah, because he, he could just sit down, and he still he went by four win, points. Yeah, before, yeah, no matter what. <laughs> so, yeah, he said, no, you have six more arrows to shoot. Yeah, I, I don't know if I believe that story exactly, because I know Butch well enough to know he would have said it in a in a friendly and nice way and <laughs> i'm sure it was yeah but yeah that's pretty awesome sometimes you know butch doesn't seem like the guy to drop a zinger like that on you but sometimes that's this just the guy who does it and it's sure. more memorable because yeah. yeah because you don't expect yeah. you don't expect butch to say something like that but you know butch um was another one of those guys that could just rack up the you know run the table on you as it were Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, very technical shooter, very meticulous, right? Just went through the process, went through each step. And, and you know, I, I was privileged to be a resident athlete at the Olympic Training Center with him and Justin Hewish and mm-hmm. uh, Rod White, uh, you know, during the time that we were all preparing to try to go to the Olympic Games in Atlanta. And... Um, I got to shoot with Butch every single day for, you know, better part of a year. And I can tell you, nobody worked harder. I mean, he made it look easy, but boy, he worked at it. He just worked at it. And the thing about Butch, I think the thing that separated him from just about everybody else I worked with uh, at that time, you know, or shot against at that time, he loved practicing. He would go out there for 12 hours and just shoot. Just loved it. Every single day, you know, really, really honed his craftsmanship. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that is part of what's required. I hear Casey Coffold has some of that habit. I hear that from, uh, from Dick Tone, that she really just goes out there and shoots and, and, and basically her folks have got to tell her, hey, <laughs> go eat something or, you know, whatever, because she's, she's just obsessed with shooting. And so, I think a little bit of that obsession is what's needed. Um, you're telling me that Butch is like a, a masochist. Like he enjoys the pain. I don't think there's shooting. pain involved. He just likes to shoot. It's maybe uh, 
Yeah, there, it's a it's a pain of boredom sometimes. I don't think he was bored with hours. it. I don't think he was bored with it. I, you yeah, know, some people they just have the. But you know, he'd like work on he'd work on a specific thing. You know, he would work on like you know he he he'd really get into things like all right tuning. All right, one of the things that was interesting was because Butch and I have the same draw length down to the eighth of an inch. And we shot the same bow length and the same arrow length and everything. We could actually pick up each other's bows and with a small side adjustment uh, group, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was handy to know in case one of us had a bow break or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those one of those little things. But the, the reality is that he was always working on something. He wasn't just going out there and racking up numbers. He was working on something mm -hmm. actively, and I think that makes yeah. that actually does make a difference. I think there's people these days who feel like their arrow count is what matters, and you know my uh, my issue, I would say, the last couple of years is that practice hasn't been with a purpose for me. It's just more of getting arrows in, and you know, or getting a bow set up or whatever. So I I uh, was doing some of that a couple of weeks ago. I was at the NFA Youth Academy, and I thought I need to, you know, put some of this <laughs> this stuff that we're teaching these youngsters into uh, back into my own routine and and practice schedule. And yeah, you got to have. It's pretty easy to slip on fundamentals, and uh, I think as you're coming up in the game, you know, you're working on when you're when you're getting better, you want to shoot good because you want to see like where where I can get. And then if you hit, you know, top level. Um, then it becomes more workmanlike, uh, and then maybe you, you dip a bit or, or whatever, but you know, right now I'm in that stage where maybe I need to go back and to the things I worked on at the very beginning and start just refining those as best I can. You almost start the cycle over. What did I do when I first started? You know, I made sure that little fundamental things were were done right now i'm going to make sure i'm doing them not only right but better you know sure to a, a great detail so and, and i think what we're talking about is very similar to what you know butch's process was yeah. to was to take a specific thing and refine it and refine it and get it better mm -hmm. so yeah it's the same i think you know and i think if you're focused on that the the boredom aspect of it is mitigated yeah it goes away because you're focused on something right so, and quality over quantity, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you can have both quality and quantity, that's fine, but definitely take quality shots over just standing up there and shooting over and mm -hmm. over again, maybe repeating mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I, uh, you know, at that Academy, I was with Rod White and it's always fun to hear some of his stories. He's got some great stories from, you know, 96 and 2000 games. Oh Yeah. 96, he was he made the team, right? He, was he did, yeah. Number yeah. three, and then 2000. He, so he's an Olympic gold medalist in the team round. Yeah, you know? and then he has a bronze medal. Yeah, and a bronze medal from the Sydney Games. So he he told me, and I didn't know this. You know, we've done this camp two years in a row with him, and I didn't realize. I knew, but I just you know failed to register. I guess that he was the fifth seed uh, after Olympic trials for the 2000 games. And then he got in, you know, off everything that happened. Well, yeah, and everything it, that happened just described a whole lot of stuff. But the way he talked about the story, it was pretty funny because he he said he got he was 
coming to the end of trials and he realized he would not be third and he started just not caring and he slipped from fourth to fifth. Yep. And then as soon as stuff, which, you know, we can get into a little bit of it if you like. Yeah. I mean, as soon as yeah, I think it was, was it the, was the first thing that happened was Hewish uh, withdrew from the team. Yeah. Justin withdrew from the team because of his, um, he was under his issues involving, um, just he had some legal issues that he right. had to resolve. So he, so he withdrew, withdrew yeah. which he didn't have to. Correct. And he did on his own regard. And a lot of people respect him for that. Yes. But anyhow, so he withdrew. And now Rod's going, dang, I would have been on the team. Yeah. But there was another person who <laughs> yeah. made the team who the was later. Four seed. Yeah. Who was later found to have cheated during the trials. His girlfriend outed him. Yeah. Um, well, a videotape actually was the mm. real, you know, I mean, there was a long story short, we were shooting in Bloomfield, New Jersey. It was pouring rain. And I mean, you know, the kind of, what do they call it? Toad drowning rain, something like that. And um, this particular fellow had shot something on the order of eight arrows in one end because he had a couple of misses. He knew he had a couple of misses, but he just kept cranking arrows. He knew they would be so far in the mud, no one would see him. Right, and there was video of him shooting seven arrows, right. and you know, it didn't it didn't show the eighth arrow because mm -hmm. uh, the video was of another shooter. Right, so it was their end. So and, when they got done, mm -hmm. yeah, but um, yeah, when that scandal kind of came to light, suddenly Rod finds himself back on the Olympic team. Yeah, he said it happened in a span of like five weeks. He went from not making the team to kicking himself because he would have been on the team to. There was literally, I think that, I think from Justin withdrawing to the other guy, uh, basically getting disqualified, it was only like a few days. You know, the really sad so, thing about that situation is the other guy would have made it legitimately if he hadn't cheated. Really? If he yeah. just shot yep. his arrows? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, that was a. Uh, whatever. That was terrible. But um, yeah, it was uh, one of those things that. Uh, we don't have too many too many cheating scandals in our sport over the years. No, we don't. And you know, as a guy who's been the alternate before, I think maybe twice, I've been in that position where you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna be top three, and you kind of start to shut it down. That like, happened to me. That once. happened to me this year, and I ended up fifth. <laughs> I remember the first time uh, I made. Matter, but. So we used to have a national sports festival called the U.S. Olympic Festival, mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, if you were a, a regional athlete, uh, your goal was to make that team for your region. So east, yeah. south, east, north, west, because you'd go to the Olympic Festival, which was basically, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 athletes. USOC paid for the whole thing. Got a uniform. You got to be in an opening ceremony. You had a kind of pseudo Olympic event. I mean, it was really well done. Back a lot in the of day. nations still do something like this. Yeah. And Mexico does it for all the youths in it, all the sports. It's, and a lot of, a lot of the sports, started using it as a warm-up for their junior squads. But in yep. archery, it was still a senior thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it gave you great motivation to practice and go to tournaments and, and try to hone your craft because you wanted to make that team and you wanted to represent your region and, and maybe move on to national team from there. The first time I was in contention for an Olympic Festival team, the scoreboard showed me fourth or so whatever the, I think it was four that were selected to go. So I was probably fifth on the scoreboard. And um, because at that time, I think the, the system had been changed. 
so that you had four that would be selected from a trials process and then two would be kind of brought in by the uh, NGB for the, you know, good of the sport as it were, you know. So you might get somebody from another region if they if they didn't make it but they were on USAT or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all a little vague there. But the the bottom line is I thought I was out. And, you know, I but I didn't give up. And I shot my last arrow, which had to be, as it turns out, had to be a 10, was a 10. And then I was just miserable because I'm looking at this scoreboard. Well, it turns out the scoreboard was wrong. Mm. And I was actually like third. <laughs> so, you know, they had, they were, they were, people were congratulating each other and commiserating and whatever. And then this poor guy who thinks he's made the team hasn't. Uh. Yeah, you know, and I felt pretty bad about it until I found out it was his mom running the scoreboard. <laughs> I didn't feel quite as bad after. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, don't give up. Right? Yeah, that's the lesson. All through. That yeah. is the lesson because you know you never just you just never know what might happen and or what might happen twice. Yeah, in the case of two thousand, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, who would have predicted that whole scenario? Yeah, no one. No one goes well. Just finished Olympic trials, fifth place. I'll probably win a bronze medal next year. You know, for this year, you know, but it did happen. You just never know. And, and, and there's no telling. And so, yeah, Rod White um, may be one of those guys that could tell you the story of why it's a good idea to stay in it right to the end. And I yep. and I know you could probably tell the same. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, everybody has it like one that. time or another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, mm. I'm going to switch now. I'm looking at this rubber deer kind of next to me here. So it reminds me, you've been to a few ASAs this year. What's your take on the whole thing? What what's your what is your perspective having gone through an ASA circuit? I think it's a, a, a fun format of archery, and you know what's interesting? Um, there's been some new rules proposed for field archery. Yeah, I've heard about that. Maybe we can talk about that a bit too. Yeah, well. Some of those stemmed from some of my proposals, so people are going to want to burn me at the stake for that, but mine was quite a bit different than what they've actually seen here. Um, I see field archery dying. You know, I think the I, I have no statistics on this, but I would bet, you know, 100 bucks that the average age at the NFA Field Nationals is at least – 10 years older. Field archery has been in decline for 20 yeah, years, 25 years. at least years. 10 years older than the average age at an ASA. And we're talking NFAA here. We're not necessarily talking at the world yeah. level or whatever. Right. So um, I think the fact of the matter is usually the ASA tournaments have a good pace to them. You know, our rounds take about three hours. I think people can tolerate that. More importantly, youths can tolerate that. Youth archers and youth people in general young people in general do not have the attention span to want or the desire to do a seven hour field round and, you know, look at the studies done by golf and why golf is in decline with young people. And it's because it takes too long and it's slow. Well, cricket, cricket, right? They've got a new format for cricket that does it in, you know, one week instead of three. No, just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. but seriously, though, I mean, they've got they've got variations on cricket now that are much faster. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to this kind of format. It's the reason why we went to 70 meters and 72 arrows instead of 144 arrows over four distances yeah. or, you know, or 288 arrows over right. four days. I mean, it's it's all the same trend line. Right. 
Yes. So yeah, you got to fit it within a, a time frame that people are willing to participate in. And the ASA does a good job of that. They organize the tournaments really well. Everything for the most part runs very smoothly and it's kind of a fun format. Um, you know, it, it, uh, every game in archery has its strengths and weaknesses and things I like about it and things I don't. And I do like in target archery, it's very cut and dry. You know, you didn't have to guess where the 10 ring was or the 12 ring or whatever. You're simply aiming at the middle of the target. Whereas in the ASA, you know, you can make a pretty good shot that just misses the 12 and it doesn't even land in the 10, it lands in the eight, stuff like that. So, but that's also what makes it kind of fun. You know, there's some variety there. There's some strategy there. You've had some observations about the organizers as well and how they run things and why that's appealing to people. Yeah. I mean, they do a good job of getting people in registered and on the course with no hassle. You don't have to register, you know, registration doesn't close two weeks before the event. You can roll up and register at the event. Which and is I get the I impression that the bureaucratic aspect of this thing is, is much more streamlined. I mean, yes, basically Mike's a benevolent dictator. Um, a good one, but yeah, they're not withheld. The word benevolent. Yeah, they're not held to the bureaucracy that can handicap some of the other uh, organizations. So, yeah, it's it's fun. I really like it. You know, we there's they're fun to shoot, and it's a different crowd of people. There's some some really good people. The guy who uh, won Shooter of the Year in my class this year, Robert Householder, super nice guy. Works at a shop in Alabama. He uh, I don't think he'd ever made a shoot off prior to this year. And then this year he made like five of them or four of the six or something like that. He made the podium, I think four times and he was always close, but could just never get the win. Right. He could never close out the win. And at the classic, he did finish first place and he won shooter of the year. Super nice guy. I was really happy for him. And you know, that's a guy who I don't know if he's ever been to Vegas. You know, he's ASA shooter of the year and he just shoots 3D, you know. So it's a it's a different group of people. And um, I'm sure we'll see Robert cross over into some indoor stuff more this year. I don't know. You, you see it from all those guys. Typically, they, you know, if they're from an, an area that shoots a lot of 3D, then they're going to shoot a lot of 3D. And that's just the regional, you know, uh, emphasis that archery has on people. So. So you went to Yankton for the NFAA field championship that took place yeah. this year? Yeah. And then some changes were announced afterward that uh, right. that affected the rules, some of which you um, some of it advocated, shall we say. Kind of. So I, you know, Jesse and I were shooting. We were talking about some stuff. and Jesse Broadwater. Jesse for Broadwater. We were on, it was me, Jesse Broadwater, Paul Tedford, and Stefan Hansen. And we were all in the same group and we got to like a 15 yard quad, which we all just plowed four X's on tore up arrows. And you know, the target face gets ruined fast because everyone's just, it's in the pro class. Most guys are hitting the middle. Was it set up as an actual quad or was it set up with just two targets? It was a quad. Okay. So anyhow, we said like, is this target even necessary? You know, I said, and that's when we kind of got, got to talking. And I said, I would be in favor of, one, some changes to the field round um, to speed things up, 
and maybe to add some difficulty for the pros and to add some flexibility for clubs. So one thing I suggested was, at least for the pro, I did, I made these suggestions in the pro class meeting. So this is pertaining to pro class only. And these are suggestions, right? It's not like I said, this is how it should be, but I like to put it out there for people to think about and process, and then they can make their own decisions. I'm not a part of any of the decision-making process beyond that. I said, instead of shooting an 80, 70, 60, 50 walk-up, why don't we just shoot all four arrows from 80? Why don't we eliminate all walk-ups across the board? Instead of shooting the walk-up, just take the max distance and shoot all four arrows from there in the pro class. And I <laughs> frankly would advocate that for the amateur classes too, because it would greatly speed up the rounds. Um, this was, so the pro meeting was Friday night. We had just shot our field round. The next day is the hunter round, which typically takes longer because you're moving your sight a lot. There's a lot more walk-ups. There's a 15, 14 walk-up, which is absolutely pointless. You know, back in the day when bows were slower, guys were shooting instinctive or, shooting fingers yeah it had more of an effect but now we don't even move our sight you just take a step forward to the 14 yard and plow two more arrows in the middle so i said you know instead of shooting stuff like that why don't we shoot the vertical bunny or birdie or whatever you want to call it you know in place of that 15 yard quad that just tears up all our arrows it, let's let's make the round a little more difficult and then there's certain targets i said you could cut out a few targets right you could go from 28 targets, four arrows per target, to 26 or even 24 pretty easily and still have a very competitive round. You'd still be shooting 88 arrows if, you know, if we had 24 targets. So some people really like these changes. And in the pro meeting, there was a gentleman, I think he's from Canada. He said, you know what? At our provincial tournaments, they can either be run off of, I think he said they do a marked yardage world archery field round. Or they can do an IFAA, which is the same as the NFAA field round. He said, if you do the NFAA, virtually nobody attends simply because they take six or seven hours and the other one takes three or four, right? And people much prefer to shoot the 24 target, three, three arrows per target, 72 total arrow, world field style round. So this is just, I mean, if I'm going off statistics and we want to, you know, maintain participation in the sport, then or in field archery, then we might want to take a look at making some changes. And a lot of people, you know, it's it's really easy for people to sit back and say, oh, well, these people are just lazy. They don't want to do it. Like, uh, I'm going to be doing it regardless of what you tell me to do. If you tell me to go shoot 224 arrows, you double it, I'll be there doing it, banging my head against the wall. But there will be a lot fewer people overall doing yes. it. Yes, and I would like to see the sport continue to uh, – well – Let's just say this. I don't know if field archery is ever going to grow. Maybe it'd take an absolute renaissance, but I would like to see the decline slow. Fair enough. So, and it, you know, it's like I said. Yeah, just just as an people aside. just throw out emotional opinions, and they don't they don't use statistical analysis or even reason. Everyone in the world today listens to like, oh well, my heart says this. Like, well, that's great, but you know. You can't you can't let your heart make your decisions for you. Speaking of which, um, you pointed out that the quad and the walk up. I, I know this from personal experience with walk up targets on NFAA. You tear up your arrows because the the angle that the arrow is coming in at changes, and you know it's really damaging arrows, right? I mean, you can you can shoot through veins, and you can you know damage yeah. arrows. And then some of the other stuff like the fan. Now. 
the walk up and the fan, if they're done as intended, could have some geographical change, right? So sure. one side of the fan, you might be up high. The other side, you might be down low. And Correct. it completely changes the target. But then it does tear up arrows in the target. So my only point is you work for an arrow company. Right. And you're trying to help people not tear up arrows. Keep that in mind. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Because normally you'd think, oh, they're working for an arrow company. They're going to make rules that make you have to buy more arrows. I, I kid you not. I heard another a dude who works for another arrow company say that part of the problem with archery today is people aren't shooting unmarked yardage and therefore they're not breaking as many arrows. Oh, Lordy. I am not kidding. So anyhow, yeah, there's, you know, if you can incorporate. So the other things I suggested, I said, get rid of the fan or make it optional. Let the clubs decide, hey, our course is going to have four from 80 or our course is going to have a walk up because it's significantly different from the 80 to the 50. And we want to test the pros with that angle change great but give the courses flexibility now some of these things got changed because as bruce pointed out there's really no new courses and many of them are hindered by an 80 yard target they can't can't get it can't do it so he he suggested go to a 65 as max and i don't like that i would like to see a 100 yard target on the field course if we could you know i i think like reading yeah give us field archery but the field archery that's fun for me anymore is the pro series. And what do we do on the pro series? The, the second day we shoot three arrows and I think we shoot 20 targets or something like that. And, uh, they also don't really, uh, recognize the max distances for faces. You know, there's some flexibility there. They don't go beyond 80, but I would welcome it if they did. I think it would be fun. Um, so yeah, that's just my thoughts on the field archery round and, there's always going to be those guys who go, well, we'd lose all the historical blah, blah. And like, well, you're losing it anyways. When the tournament's completely gone because no one wants to participate, then it's lost. Look, I'm as much into the history of our sport and, you know, the legacy of, of various aspects of our sport as anybody, I think you could argue. And yet, I think the legacy is valueless if there's nobody around to appreciate it. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mm -hmm. mean, it's just clearly one of those things where it's like, all right. Would we care who won the Vegas tournament if the Vegas tournament didn't exist anymore? No. That's the problem, right? Like, name a name a tournament that's not around anymore. Maybe Atlantic City. Cobo Hall. Yeah. yeah. Do people... I don't know anyone who ever won Atlantic City, and I don't care because it doesn't exist. Butch Johnson. <laughs> Butch Johnson doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Thankfully. All right. So um, moving on, we've got a uh, few things to look forward to in what has become the busiest season uh, that I can remember in about, uh, I don't know, five, six years. What do you think of Moscow and the finals for the World Cup? That's an interesting development. What's the development? That it's going to be in Moscow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, so it seems like they decided that like in the spring of this year. Like It was a little late, yeah. I'm beginning to wonder if they're – well, I, I think I have heard that there, there are issues with the World Cup final because the lack of participants creates a lack of uh, – Well, it's not a lack generation. of participants. I think the, the better way to put it is the limited field. The small field, yeah. Right? It's 32 shooters, something like that? Uh, yes. Yeah. So the small field creates um, 
you know, part of the reason these tournaments are successful is because they can get a lot of people in. They can get hotel. Right. We blocks. were talking. We were talking with Greg yeah. about that. So it's one reason why they might want to have the World Archery Congress associated with World Cup finals rather mm-hmm. than with the right. World Championship, which the next event. one's in Yankton, by the way. Yeah. Did you the, the World <laughs> Outdoor Championship in Yankton? And with all due respect. I have trouble wrapping my mind around that. <laughs> I think it goes to show that if it's not easy to host an event and not just lose money on it, yeah. virtually everybody thus far is probably losing money on events and there's not a whole lot of bidders to host. Well, knowing Bruce, I guarantee you he's not going to lose money on the event. He'll no, at least break they have even. The facility. Right. He's got they'll, the facility. Yeah. They'll do well. I'm, It'll it'll be a great event. I can oh, promise I, I'm that. I'm not saying it's not going to be a great event, but, but it's I think not. Most people, when they think I'm going to go to America, unfortunately, I like Yankton, but most people, you know, I'm, I live here. I've seen most of the country. Most people, when they come to America, they want to go to you know a New York City and L.A. Uh, Miami, something like that. You well, know? you know, it's like the bumper sticker that you sometimes see in in the western part of the United States. You know, Paris. New York, London, Moab. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, it will, uh, you know, regarding Moscow, maybe they're the only one who stepped up and, and took the bid. Oh, in fact, I think you're right. I think that's what happened there. I, I would be a proponent of saying, let's make the World Cup final a Lausanne-based event every year. I wonder if that wouldn't be a terrible idea. I mean, it, I I actually announced that the one in Lausanne. Um, it was nice. It was it was really um, a good event. You know, the truth of the matter is that matters to thirty two people and their coaches and whoever goes with them. Well, and and you know, I think World Archery has done a good job trying to create this as a um, important milestone on the calendar each year uh, that is televisable it's on Eurosport it's on the Korean TV channels it's you know you can see it on the Olympic channel here let me help them the road to Lausanne it's not a terrible idea to have it in uh, in one place I think the European PGA Tour does the road to Dubai oh yeah that's their pinnacle event or the final you know the final event of the year or whatever it it would work I think just park the (laughs) park that World Cup final in Lausanne and and do it there but and if you have someone who wants to bid for it great if not I don't know. I don't know how World Archery's work, you know, working that event or the financials behind it, but I would uh I would wonder if that would be a viable option. So they're um they're doing things a little differently uh for the second year in a row now. They're they're going to have the first round matchups decided by a draw, which will be on TV. Oh yeah. The night before. Uh-huh. The night before. Yeah. Um and the top 2 seeds in each category will be placed at opposite ends of the bracket and all the other positions will be filled at random. So you don't really know who you're going to be shooting against when you get there. That was kind of exciting. Last, you know, I went with Linda last year. She made it, and the draw was at this little, you know, event on the water and blah blah blah. And it was cool. I, I thought it was cool. There's been a few uh, switch outs of the usual suspects, the people that were expected to go. The, a lot of the Koreans decided not to go. Yeah, because they're focused on on their Olympic trials process. So uh, Brady Ellison is uh, seated number one for uh this thing based upon uh winning know, two events and yeah <laughs> medellin and Antalya and, and being the world champion and all that stuff so uh, although that has no bearing, no bearing the world yeah. championship doesn't it doesn't hurt to be the current world record holder and world champion uh mete Gadzos from turkey who um meet yeah 
<laughs> he uh, shot well. He he took Berlin. Uh, Chef Van Den Berg from the Netherlands. Took Berlin meant something different 70 years ago. Uh-huh. Kim Wojin from Korea is scheduled. Um, so is Mauro Nespoli from Italy. Steve Weiler from the Netherlands. Uh, Bei Jaehyun of Korea. And Artem Maknenko of Russia is your host seed. He, he's going to be there for the, uh, for the host country, which always gets a, uh, a say in who gets to play. Um, you know, Brady, again, you know, what can you say about Brady's season so far? It has just been. Is this his 10th straight World Cup final? It's right up there. Yeah. He's four time champion, right? For the World Cup final. And, um, you know, won the gold in the world championships and world number one ranked. This could be his fifth career victory. Nobody has won more than his four. Maybe Although Sarah Lopez did match it, you know, as a compound woman. Yeah. Um, when she took the gold in Turkey last year. So let's run through the rest of the roster. Who's in the recurve women? Uh, you've got, uh, let's see, we've got Tanya Ting from Chinese Taipei. She's seated number one. Mm-hmm. Talk good all year. Uh, Kang the Destroyer from Korea Obviously is uh, ranked second. Medin and Shanghai winner. Uh, Toma Mitsugimoto from Japan, who's the number one uh, shooter in Japan right now in the women's category among those who are on the team. Although um, there's a couple of other shooters that aren't on the team this year that are shooting really, really well right now. So that, that, that'll be an interesting thing to watch coming up. And Shi Shuang from the People's Republic of China. Sheng Yi Che from the People's Republic of China, who was the winner in Antalya this year. Uh, Ksenia Perova from Russia, who made it, you know, based on, on her performance. Right. And then you got Melanie Galbil from France. And Sayana Tserempilova from Russia is the so host seed. Select. Yeah, selected. Yep. And in the Tanya Ting side. had a good year this year, by the way. Uh, you know, she was solid the whole year. Yeah, p- podiums, you know, at all three stages. She didn't win one, right? No, she bronze was- and bronze and bronze, and um, you know, solid because that that puts her at the world number two so seeding. Her and uh, Kang the Destroyer will be opposite sides. Yep. And she's yeah, Kang's Ting. number one. I'm going to pick her. I I don't disagree. Coming she's, out party here. Yeah, she's a solid solid shooter. So. Uh, Moving on, we got uh, Mike Schlusser. He's the number one seed for the men's compound, and he won Medellin this year. Mike, uh, you know, Mike, is, I'll just say this. Tune in for the last couple arrows of his match. That's all I'm going to say because it could, it could be memorable. thing about it, he's, <laughs> he's usually got enough of a lead. Yeah. <laughs> he can almost butch Johnson the end of the match. Yeah. And just say, I don't need this. I don't, I don't need to bother shooting. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Braden Galantine, who's uh, currently uh, number two in the world. Braden is. No. Uh, oh, in the World Cup ranking. Yeah. 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 Braden is uh, the winner of Shanghai and, and he's in there. Evren Kajeran from Turkey, uh, who did well in Berlin. Daniel Munoz from Colombia. Josef Bosanski of Slovakia, who I don't really know very well. Uh, I think he had it. Yeah, he's uh, might be his first year competing. Yeah, he's done all right. If I remember right, James Lutz from the United States, young Jimmy, kid. Yeah, Jimmy Lutz never been beaten internationally. Yeah, that's true. But he's only shot one tournament internationally per se. Two, two <laughs> World Cup. So his first World Cup, he he wins with a one fifty, the first ever one fifty in a gold medal final. Yeah, yeah. And then he wins the World Championships and yeah. And, uh, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but then I beat him in SoCal. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, the Sultan of Smooth, Sergio Pagni, who's uh, he's got to be right up there with uh, the number of appearances at the World Cup final. And he's got a ton of – He's probably got five or so. Yeah, and he's got at least three of the victories, three of the wins. So he made it, huh? Yeah. 
Sergio's Good. in there. And Anton Bulyev will be the uh, the host country seed. So uh, my pick, Braden or Sergio. All right, I, I'm not going to disagree. Looking at the compound women, you've got uh, American archer Alexis Ruiz, who uh, is seated first, and uh, she won Berlin this year. And then you've got Sarah Lopez, who's uh, seated second, uh, the archer from Colombia, winning in Medellin. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's been having an outstanding season. She's doing well at the Pan Ams. Yep. Uh, Toya Ellison from Slovenia, Brady's wife, um, is in there. Tanya Jensen from Denmark, who seems to have been in there for the last, I don't know, four years now, I think. Something like that. Something like that. She's doing well. Sophie Dodimont from France, former recurve shooter. Uh, Danielle Wenzel from South Africa, who won Antalya this year. Yeah. Korea's So Che Won, who won Shanghai this year. And then you've got Natalia Abdieva uh, as the host country seed. So, uh, man, Abdieva could win. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of girls who could win that one. Uh huh. Any smart money, smart money goes on Sarah Lopez, but any one of those eight could win. You're absolutely correct. And Lopez has the highest per average score of her entire career so far, which is pretty impressive when you think about it. Yeah. She, if she shoots an arrow, it's going to be an average of 9.75 points. Yeah, it's uh, but her win rate's not as high as it used to be. Yeah, her, I think, yeah, I think other women are coming up. They're catching you know? up, and they're not, you know, fearful anymore. So it, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and usually but, there's there's one or two in that group of eight. That you're like, oh, hope they enjoy their trip. Yeah, but this that group of eight, there's there's any one of them could win. Yeah, and don't forget Abdeva is also um, you know world champion. World champion, yeah, and indoor world champion from 2018 mm-hmm. as I was, which was in Yankton. If it, if she's got the Russian team felt right at home in Yankton in February, I can tell you she gets the punch going. Just, you know, if it's going for her, it's going good. And well, if it's breezy and I have no idea, honestly, what kind of weather to expect in, in Moscow in September. I mean, it could be anything, I suppose, but um, yeah. So, you know, you're looking at, at a very compelling group of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what world archery wants. They want, and, and I'm going to point out, I think most of these people are, are pretty televisable too. They look good on TV. They've got personality. They've got everything you want, you know? And I think in that regard, world archery has done a really good job creating something that's going to be appealing beyond, you know, the 12 people listening to us on this podcast yeah. or the, you know, the usual suspects. It, you, people are going to see this on the Olympic channel and they're going to watch it for a little while. The only thing they're missing is maybe like an ex-convict um, fresh out of the clink who, you know, can give them that storyline. That's the only storyline missing. You have to be referring to some pop culture thing that I don't know anything no, about. No, just most NFL football seasons. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking? Of course. Some other political scandal or something needs to no. be. Uh, no. it's just, it seems, you know, there's always that storyline in all these things, too. Oof. I, Anyhow, moving on. Yeah. I don't know if we need to talk about it anymore. It's been a pretty good podcast. I, I think we're pretty well done. I, I will say this. I think um, we're going to make a concerted effort. Haven't we been saying this for a while? Yeah. We're going to make a concerted effort, but at the end of the day, it's going to be what it is. We didn't podcast for like a year, and then we did two in a week or yeah. in a day, and we and just then, waited a couple days. And then nothing for three months after that. Yeah. But here we are today. Yeah. And speaking of today, I, I was listening to Clint yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, who's in the office next to mine. And some guys got him lined up for a podcast next week to talk about the product that Clint works on, right? So you're going to say, hey, man. Hey, man. Yeah, hey, man. Hey, man. But no, what was funny was Clint was telling this podcast guy, 
um, Joe Rogan, something like that. He was telling this podcast guy, oh, yeah, these guys I work with, they do a podcast. And I was, and you know, their highest rated podcast ever was the one where they just stopped in the middle of the podcast and started talking about the guy with the weed eater out in the parking lot. Now, he didn't quite get the story right. Close enough. But he's not that far off. Not that far off. So, you know, I think the one the one thing we neglected to mention is the fact it's bright and sunny, and, and finally we've got a break from the 100-degree temperatures yeah. here in Salt Lake City. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't go off task whatsoever. It was... This will be one of our lower yeah, rated podcasts. Yeah, everyone will hate this one. Everyone will hate this archery podcast because we talked about archery on the podcast. Somewhere in here, probably what we ought to do is stop uh, the tape, stop the, the recording system, and, and plug in a donut for Jay where we talk about some random stuff happening in the parking lot. It's too late. Let's just call it end of show.